My message tonight is titled, uh, The Enemy Has Done This. The enemy has done this. And so if you have your Bibles, please go with me to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. And it's the parable of the wheat and the tares, or the parable of the wheat and uh, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, some versions will say. And um, in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew collected seven parables about the kingdom for us. Seven parables about the kingdoms for us. And I, I find a connection between each one of the parables. The first parable there is the parable of the sower. I might make, make mention of it tonight. And the second parable is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And then it goes on to other parables about the kingdom. But let's read Matthew chapter 13 from verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain has sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no. Lest we, you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And if you, if you go uh, uh, further to verse 36, you will see the Lord Jesus Christ explaining this parable. Someone said that a parable that does not have an interpretation or an unexplained parable is only a riddle. And so Jesus, uh, want, uh, the disciples came to him and wanted to know the meaning of this parable. So he told them the meaning. Let's read from verse 36 again. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. And we all know that the son of man is another title for Jesus. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. And we cast them into the furnace of fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hallelujah. Now, Matthew, uh, as most of us will know, was concerned about his, the telos of his gospel. The, 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 the focus of his gospel was presenting Jesus as king. 
presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Was, he wanted the Jews to know that the Messiah they have been expecting has arrived. For example, Luke's uh, 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 aim, uh, the aim of Luke's gospel, te- the telos of Luke's gospel, was to write an orderly account for Theophilus about those things in which he had been instructed. But for Matthew, he wanted to present Jesus. His concern was, I want you, my fellow citizens of Israel, to know the Messiah you've been expecting has finally come. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. And so he started from chapter 1 by tracing the lineage of Jesus back to Abraham. In chapter 2, he tells us about the confirmation of his, of, of his kingship with the visit of the Magi, the, the wise men like we call them. In chapter 3, uh, he presents uh, 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 Jesus as, as uh, uh, in chapter 4 rather, he presents Jesus as the one that overcame Satan. He conquered Satan or after this temptation. And he went on chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, he presented Jesus as the king uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And then in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, he presented Jesus' miracles, confirming him as the king and the Messiah. And then in chapter 12, the Jews rejected him. The rejection had been coming, but in chapter 12, it came to a head. They actually attributed his healing uh, on the Sabbath. The two healings he did on the Sabbath and everything that he's done, they attributed it to Beelzebub. And Jesus now said, began to, to say to them, well, woe to you now because you are attributing the work of the Holy Spirit uh, to, 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 to demons. And so therefore, this is blasphemy. Blasphemy has no, no forgiveness. And he was chastising them. And then when we get to chapter 13 of, of uh, Matthew's gospel, Jesus began to speak to them in parables. And I think he decided to change tactics with them because they saw the miracles of the two healings on the Sabbath. They first accused him that his disciples were, were plucking the heirs of corn on the Sabbath and they were breaking the Sabbath rules. And he told them, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He came into their synagogue and they said, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Of course, because of his compassion, he healed two people. And suddenly the crowd, the multitude that were following him began to see, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the son of David? And immediately the Pharisees jumped in and said, no, this fellow cannot be the son of David. No, 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 no. He's casting out demons by Beelzebub. And they stopped the people from seeing their Messiah, from seeing the glory of God. No wonder Jesus began to pronounce war unto them in other places. and called them white sepulchers. They would not go into the kingdom and, and they, they are stopping people who wanted to go in. And so the Pharisees brought this to a head and Jesus Christ decided, okay, I am going to speak to them in parables now. Why? I've had a lot of, a lot of teachers say that uh, it wasn't that Jesus Christ was trying to hide th- truth from them, uh, that he was just trying to explain some things. No, I disagree. Jesus Christ was saying, if you want what I've got, you've got to pursue it. I'm no longer going to cast my pearls before swine. You've seen the miracles. You've seen my teaching. You've had everything. You should know by now that your Messiah has come. And why is this very important, you might ask me? It's very important because of the age that we are in. We are in the age of the church. 
We are in the age between the time Jesus Christ went back to heaven and the time that he's coming back again. We are in the age, it's like a football game. We are in the half time. And there are a lot of things in chapter 13 of, of, the, of the gospel of Matthew that we need to focus on, that we need to pay attention to. And so Jesus began to speak to them in parables. In chapter 13, verse 1, uh, he started by speaking to them about the parable of the sower. Powerful. Because he said in the interpretation of the, of the parable that the, that the seed, in fact, some people say it's better, it's better pronounced as the parable of the soils. Because very little was said about the sower, very little was said about the seed. It was about the soil, the four different soils. And so Jesus said, during this time, the, the gospel will be preached. Because he said in the interpretation, the seed is the gospel of the kingdom. The seed is the gospel of the kingdom. And we know that Jesus Christ came to bring his kingdom. And that kingdom had been rejected finally in chapter 12 by the Jews. And so the kingdom was postponed. And that's why we say today that the kingdom of God is both now and in the future. The kingdom is both now. When, Jesus, when John the Baptist came, he came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is so close to you that you can lay hold of it. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then when Jesus started his own ministry, he said the same thing. Repent for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he sent out the 12, it was the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When uh, the 72 went out, it was the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he died and he rose, he, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, he was speaking to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The central message of Jesus is the kingdom of of God. And I believe that for so long the church has we've preached about so many things, but it's time for us to come back to the kingdom because that is what he's coming back to do. When he comes back the second time, he's coming to establish his kingdom. He's coming. And therefore, as Christians, we must understand the kingdom. We must understand what is expected of us in the kingdom. I think it was last night that I was watching a documentary on Diana, Princess of Wales, uh, about her death and the things that happened after her death. And um, Her Majesty the Queen was under tremendous pressure uh, to change protocol, to change tradition, to change so many things. For example, whenever she's, not, uh, whenever she's uh, in Buckingham Palace, the Queen's flag flies over Buckingham Palace. But when she's not there, the flag does not fly. Absolutely, there's no flag flying over Buckingham Palace. But when Princess Diana died, uh, all of the Union Jacks around the nation were flying at half-mast. But there was no flag over Buckingham Palace. And there was pressure that the Union Jack should be put up there and it should fly at half-mast. And Her Majesty, bless her, uh, resisted until political pressure and pressure from the press uh, compelled her to change protocol. And sometimes, as Christians, we think like that. We think we command pressure on our king to change his mind. Unfortunately, the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of man. The kingdom of God is not a presidential system. The kingdom of God is not a parliamentary system where we can put pressure on our politicians to change policy. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God, period. 
God is God. You are not. And I am not. And the whole world is his kingdom. He owns everything. The, 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 the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. I read somewhere that when Jews sit at table, the first thing they say is, God Almighty, King of the universe. So in the Jewish, mind, in the Jewish mindset, God is one thing and one thing only, King of the universe. Whereas in our Western mindset, or in whatever culture we come from, when we, when we read about kingdom in the Bible, there may be other things going on in our mind. But in the Jewish mindset, it is one thing and one thing only. God is the king of the universe. Amen. And when you understand kingdom according to scriptures, it is absolute sovereign. For example, we have our queen, Her Majesty the Queen, who is the queen of the United Kingdom. And some people say, well, we are not really united. But thank God we haven't broken up either. Amen. But our queen, she reigns, but she doesn't rule. She is not ruling, but she's reigning. Whereas Jesus Christ as the king of the kingdom, he rules and he reigns in the affairs of men. Hallelujah. And when he came, he came to restore that kingdom. But because of the Jewish rejection, God decided I was going to choose a man called Abraham. He was going to choose a, a, a nation called Israel. And through Abraham and Israel, he was going to bring his kingdom over to the, to the nations. But unfortunately, they did not recognize him because they were expecting someone else. They were expecting the Jewish Messiah to come on a white horse with a sword and drive everybody out. And because they didn't understand that, the kingdom was postponed. So the kingdom is both now and in the future when Jesus comes back. But between the period that he's left and the period that he'll be coming back, what exactly is happening? The parable of the sower says that seeds of the, king, of the, the word of the kingdom will be sown. Some people will outrightly reject it. The seed that fell by the wayside. Some people, they will hear nice things about the kingdom. I call it the sugary part of the kingdom, where God blesses you. Like we used to sing in the, in the Bible school 20 years ago. He sugar my tea and put butter on my bread. Hallelujah. They hear all that stuff. God will heal you. God will provide a husband and a wife for you. God will bless you. God will promote you. And they come into the kingdom, but then, because that's all they've heard, Maybe it was false repentance. The Bible says here, according to, the, to Jesus in this parable, that because they didn't have any, any root in themselves, they were scorched. The first seed fell by the wayside. People who outrightly reject the kingdom. The second one fell on stony ground. And I read some commentaries that says that stony ground simply means that the topsoil is fluffy and soft, but beneath that is limescale. It's limescale rock, and you have to dig further and break through the limescale rock. And there are some people in the church today that there's limescale in their heart. And I want to say to you, if your heart, the soil of your heart, has got limescale, then you need spiritual descaler. Just like when your kettle at home, or your iron at home, or some of your appliances that use hot water begins to develop limescale, you got to go and to the shop and buy limescale descaler and descale it. Some of us in the church today, we need our hearts to be descaled. Spiritual descaler. 
so that the word of God can penetrate, so that we begin to do the assignment God has given us. Can I hear you say amen? amen. The third soil talks about among the thorns, and that's the cares and the worries of this world. This deceitfulness of riches comes and chokes the word. But then there's that good soil upon which the good seed is sown that brings out a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. And then Jesus, after saying this, he says to the disciple uh, in Luke that unless you understand this particular uh, parable, you cannot understand all other parables. And then he goes on to talk about the parable of the tears that we read earlier on. And Jesus is saying to us that in the world that we live in today, between the time he went back to heaven and the time that he's coming back, that he, the son of man, has sown good seed. And you and I, as sons and daughters of the kingdom, we are the good seed. But then the Bible says that why men slept... And I don't want to really believe that this is um, physical uh, uh, sleeping. I want to believe that it's spiritual sleep. No wonder Paul was saying in, uh, in Ephesians, I think chapter 4, Awake, 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 you who sleep. Awake. And for a long, long time, I believe the church has been a little bit asleep. A little sleep and a little slumber. Thank God for the reset button. Because now... We can, we, can, we can, like a strong man, guard our, our things so that the enemy does not come in. We can, we can post watchmen over our walls. We can take turns as watchmen and watch over our house and watch over the, over the church and watch over so that the enemy does not come again and sow tears amongst us. And the Bible says that as soon as the wheat began to sprout, also the bastard wheat sprouted also. The tears is known as Danel in that area of the world. And the root word for Danel, uh, I think, comes from a word that has to do with fornication. That's why it's called bastard wheat. Bastard wheat. And it is believed that the roots would go down and unlock itself with the, with the roots of the wheat. It goes down into the soil, locks its roots with the root of the That's why Jesus Christ said, if you pull out uh, the, the danel, if you pull out the tears, it will also uproot the wheat. So leave it. Now, when I first read this and I, I was meditating on it, I thought, okay, so what does that mean? Does that really mean that we are done for? We have to grow, you know, the, 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 the darkness will be growing and the light will be growing, the wheat will be growing and the danel will be growing, the tears will be growing. But then I took comfort in the next parable. The next parable of Jesus. I'm, 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 I'm trying to focus us on a period between when the church is in oppression and what the church is meant to do. This morning, Malcolm Duncan was saying, there's work for us to be done. And I want to assure you, Kenston Temple, and all of you that are listening to me, in this house, there's a unique work. I'm not saying that we are unique above all other churches, but I'm saying there's a unique work that God has given up for this city and for the nations of the world. And thank God, in the 20 years that I've spent in this house, that message has not changed once. That message that we are supposed to be the most effective disciple-making church in Europe has not changed. We haven't always succeeded, but we haven't given up on it either. And I believe the reset button is to focus our attention to say, 
We need to rouse ourselves up again. We need to rise up. We cannot go back to sleep and allow the enemy to sow Danel or tears in our house again. Can I hear you say amen? It is time to rise up and say no to the enemy. It is time to rise up and say, well, yes, maybe the enemy has sown some seed. Maybe the enemy has sown tears. Maybe we're not supposed to, to uproot them. Maybe because in your home, your husband is not saved. Maybe your children are not saved. Maybe it's, uh, it's, the, it's the wife that is not saved. Maybe you are working for uh, 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 somebody out there who is completely anti-Christian. And you know that God has planted you in, in that place to bring, to bring his kingdom there. And so I believe this parable is saying, Jesus is saying, no, I'm not going to uproot that place where you walk because it's going to affect my child. I'm not going to uproot that Danelle or that tear in your family because it's going to affect my children who are already saved. I am, I'm, please excuse me if, I'm, if you think I'm taking liberty with my application. But I do believe that this, this, this parable that we have here has, is not just based on the end time alone. It's not just eschatological alone. It, we can also take some principle from it and apply it to our lives. I don't know where the enemy has sown Danelle in your life, in your business, in your marriage, in your family, in your situations and your circumstances. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for you this evening that the power of the kingdom, as Jesus Christ explained again in the next parable. The next parable. The living. The parable of the living. Hallelujah. He said in uh, uh, verse 33, another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like living which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. First and foremost, the kingdom comes to you through the word of God. The word of God is the word of the kingdom. And when you receive that work of kingdom, you understand it. Matthew says in his explanation of the good soil, he says those that receive seed on the good soil, they are the ones that understand the word. Luke say, Mark says they are the ones that accept it. And Luke says they are the ones that keep it. So when the word of God is coming to you like it's coming to you this evening, first of all, you, want, you must seek to understand it. Because if you don't understand it, then the enemy comes and takes it away. The devil comes and takes it away. So you understand, you accept, and you keep it. That's what we do with the word of God. That's the word of the kingdom. And that word of the kingdom, when it comes to you, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a living, a yeast, that you heed, that a woman takes and heed three measures in a meal. And it was all living, which means the power of the kingdom in your life, the seed of the kingdom in your life is good enough to take over your community. Can I hear you say amen? The word of the kingdom that we've had from this house, the word of the kingdom, notwithstanding the tears, notwithstanding the Daniel that is out there, the word that is in us, the word of the kingdom in us, is good enough to take over wherever God has planted us. Jesus is the word. He said to them, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. He is the mystery of the kingdom. He's the mystery that the Old Testament prophets did not see. 
that the disciples did not even understand. He had to ask them, who do men say that I am? You've been with me for a time. Who do, you, who do men say that I am? Oh, they said you're Elijah. They said this, you're one of the prophets. But who do you say that the son of man is? He had to ask them, who do you, do you really understand who is with you? Do you really understand who I am? He was saying to them. And now he's teaching them these parables. Letting them know, notwithstanding what we face out there. Hallelujah. And when, 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 sometimes you can be overwhelmed. <laughs> Three weeks ago, my daughter came to me and wanted me to help her with, um, with her religious studies. She's in her first year in the A-levels. And uh, she wanted to know if miracles, uh, they, they've been put in some groups and they have to discuss whether miracles are still happening today or whether miracles are, 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 are silly things that some Christians believe in. And she also wanted me to help her with the, with the theology of the Trinity. That, you know, there's nowhere in the Bible where the Bible talks about the Trinity and all that stuff. And the challenging thing for me was when I saw it. When I saw the book, the official book they were supposed to read. And what had been contributed into that book by so-called Christians. The, the conclusions of, of, of so-called Christians who are writing these books, this particular aspect of the book for these children to study. I know the Daniels are growing. The tears are growing. And I had to sit my, my child down. Uh, her, my wife is a theologian, so to speak. Master's degree in theology. We sat her down and we schooled her. Let me ask you. Do you even know what your children are reading? Do you know what kind of Daniels are being planted in their lives every day, five days a week? They go to school, they come back. They spend more time in school sometimes than they spend with us parents. That's the kind of sleep I'm talking about. Are we really, are we sleeping? Are we sleeping? Ah, please forgive me. I, I, can't, I cannot but say this, but I want to thank God. I want to thank God that for the past 20 years that I've been discipled in this house, our disciple, our, our, our senior pastor and apostolic leader, Pastor Colin, has not allowed those of us in the primary to have to be lazy, either spiritually or mentally. There are sometimes around the primary 12 table that is science. Sometimes it, 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 it is apologetic. Sometimes it's the direct word of life. Last week we were looking at, at 2 Timothy. We were looking at where Paul was writing to Timothy and said, you've got to preach the word in season and out of season. I thank God that my ministry and my life, my spiritual, has been shaped. I can say to you, I am not a lazy Christian. And I am a Christian that is sensitive to things around me so that I can react or I can act or I can, I can, I can, I can do whatever is expected of me in my only two way, whether it's to sign a petition online or to go and protest somewhere, I know what to do. That why? Because I have been a disciple for 20 years. Ladies and gentlemen, all of you watching me, whether you are part of this house, Kensington Temple, London City Church, or you are part of another church, the way forward for the church is discipleship. Whether you call it five by five, nine by nine, or you call it the principle of 12 like we call it in this house, it is discipleship. 
It is those small groups reaching out in our communities, connecting to one another and bringing people to Christ, not just to make decisions, but also to disciple them. That is the work that will stop the Daniels in our, in our society. That is why Jesus Christ invested us with so much power. That was why Paul, Paul was warning us in Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because there's warfare to be done. There's an enemy that needs to be attacked. That was why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, be sober, be vigilant. Be sober doesn't mean don't drink alcohol. Be sober just means prioritize your life. Prioritize your life according to the kingdom. Why? Because the enemy is going around seeking whom to devour. I pray for you this evening that the enemy will not devour you. The enemy will not devour your family. The Daniels will not take hold in your life and in the life of your family and in your community. But we must rise up in the spirit of discipleship. We must rise up in the history of this house and go out there and do battle with the enemy. May God bless you and keep you. May God make his face to shine upon you. May God lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May the joy of the Lord continually be your strength. And as you, as you join with us, as, you, as we stand together to take this nation for Jesus with all of the other expressions of the body of Christ in this nation, but for us, in discipling this nation, we will see the glory of God. We will see that revival that people are talking about come and be in our time in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. God bless you.